0: If you would turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. We are going to be studying the the book of Ruth one more week. Next week we're going to conclude with chapter 4. This week we will read chapter 3. So Ruth chapter 3. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, meaning Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer yet there is a redeemer nearer than I remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good let him do it but if he is not willing to redeem you then as the lord lives I will redeem you lie down until morning so she lay at his feet until morning but arose before one could recognize another and he said let it be known that a woman let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor but we'll settle the matter today. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray. Most gracious God and Father in heaven, pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, I mentioned at the beginning this last week we held our annual elders retreat. Uh, We were up at a cabin on the Red River, uh, enjoying uh, the beauty of God's creation there. It is gorgeous. Uh, The river, when we got there, was high. And when we woke up in the morning, it had dropped probably about seven or eight feet. It was just interesting to see that dynamic there. And as we walked down to the water, there was this steam that was coming off because the water was very, very cold. So it had this, this misty aura to it. It was just, it was beautiful. And as you got down to it, the, the temperature of the air dropped about, I don't know, 10 to 15 degrees. It was, it was gorgeous. And, and in that place, uh, the elders and I, we talked about God's will for Trinity, We discussed the future of where we are heading as a church, what God is calling us to, uh, who we are as a body, uh, what the future will look like. Uh, We sought His will through prayer, uh, through much discussion, uh, with fellowship with one another, and um, uh, it was a very enjoyable time. But as I mentioned to the children this morning, it's sometimes difficult to discern what is the will of God. Uh, This is a question that we struggle with constantly. What does God want? Um, We have these decisions that we are faced with. What should we be doing? What does God desire for me? I remember when I was a senior in high school, I had the choice before me of two separate colleges, and both were great Christian colleges. I would have done... um, uh, done well to, to attend either one of them, and uh, I was struggling with which one should I choose. Uh, through God's providence and uh, through the help of a friend, a good friend, and who eventually turned out to be my roommate, um, we, uh, we chose Kelvin College, and the fact that my roommate, or my, my best friend at the time was going there as well, uh, solidified that decision for me. That's where I want to go, and I want to live with him. Um, But how do we know? How do we know what God's will is for our lives? Uh, We're going to see how Ruth and Naomi discerned God's will uh, this morning through this story uh, in Ruth chapter 3. Before we look at God's will, as we've been going through the book of, of Ruth, we've been talking about this chesed, love of God, this great Hebrew word this self-sacrificial love, and we've looked at chesed in Ruth, we've looked at it in Boaz, we've looked at the Lord and His love for us. Uh, We get a glimpse of the love that Naomi has uh, at the very beginning of chapter 3 here. Um, She says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi begins, at this point, she begins to think about Ruth. She begins to imagine what would it be like if Ruth had Boaz as her husband. Ruth wouldn't have to pick the fields anymore. She would be well taken care of. She would be protected. She wouldn't have to struggle to care for Naomi. Naomi herself would be cared for and protected. Ruth could have children. Naomi would have grandchildren. Naomi thinks about Ruth, and that is a great sign of Naomi's love for her, because she begins to put Ruth above herself. But in order for that to happen, uh, for this dream to come true, Ruth and Naomi come up with a plan, and we're going to look pretty extensively at their plan this morning uh, for us to understand a little bit about what's going on here So Ruth and Naomi make a plan. Well, it's really Naomi's plan, and Ruth agrees to it. So they know that this is the time of the season for winnowing of barley. And this will happen at the threshing floor. At this point, all the crops have been brought in. It's time to thresh or to winnow. And usually this was a time of great celebration. Uh, Stephanie and I have a garden that we have planted this year, and every day we get to go out and pick probably a, just a huge bowl full of cucumbers. We have cucumbers coming out of our ears right now. Uh, Stephanie has, Stephanie has been, been pickling them. And so in, in a couple of weeks, we are going to have loads and loads of pickles every day. It's going to be awesome. Um, but um, we are enjoying the fruits of that labor right now. And the kids love going out and picking uh, our garden. Uh, We've got some cherry tomatoes that are coming in. We've had beans and uh, some squash and some okra. I I know I grew up in Chicago, but I love okra. Man, I love okra, Uh, especially fried okra. (laughs) Anyways, um, I guess the South is having an effect on me. But uh, this is a joyous time. It's a great time of celebration uh, for them here, uh, this winnowing of the barley. Uh, All the workers gather together at the threshing floor and winnowing is this process where they separate the, the, the head, the kernel, from the chaff. Uh, the chaff is usually blown away. It's used for other purposes, disposed of even. Uh, but the kernel is kept and it is, it is used. And uh, apparently the workers enjoyed themselves immensely as they worked. Uh, they ate and they drank. They had a great time together. And Naomi knows this. She knows that this is the custom, that this will be happening. And so she devises a plan to take advantage of this situation for Ruth. And then Ruth goes out and executes the plan. So Ruth goes to this threshing floor. She makes sure that all the work has been done and everything has quieted down. The celebration has has come to an end. It's quiet now. And she goes there in secret so that she is not seen. She remains quiet. Uh, You can imagine her being very, very stealthy hiding herself in the shadows even, being careful not to let anyone see her. Boaz, at this point, is merry, as the Bible describes it. He has enjoyed the evening. He has had food. He has had drink. He is surrounded by piles of grain. He is enjoying the fruits of his harvest, this hard work that has eventually and finally paid off. He's got... Uh, A lot to show for his hard work. He is a happy man. His barns are full, his heart is full, and so he lies down to sleep uh, in joy. So Ruth comes up to him at this point, making sure that she has not been seen by anyone. She waits till he's asleep, and she comes and she lies down next to him, and she uncovers his feet. Now, what does this mean? Obviously, this is uh, thousands of years ago. This is a different culture. What is going on here at the the threshing floor? So she takes the corner of his garment, and she uncovers his feet. Now, now scholars will say a lot of different things about what might be going on here. Uh, We're not exactly certain what this means. Uh, There is a, a tension that is implied here. And because of the the nature of the audience, I'm not going into what many scholars believe may be going on here. Um, I'm going to uh, um, let you imply some things, Uh, but some scholars say that uh, there's a lot of euphemistic language that is happening here. Uh, They say that the Hebrew people uh, they were not prudes; Uh, they would not avoid situations and talking about things like this. and so we find several instances like this in the Bible. We shouldn't come to think that anything inappropriate is going on here, though. Ruth is an upright woman. Boaz is a worthy man. Uh, Ruth is not prostituting herself here. We need to make that very clear. Uh, instead, what most likely is going on is Ruth is making a marriage proposal. She is being very forthcoming to Boaz. Um, we still hold tradition today that typically the man proposes to a woman in marriage. That is typical. Uh, that doesn't always happen, I understand. But that was typical then as well. Ruth is being very bold here as she is uncovering her, uh, his garment and uncovering his feet. Most likely she is placing some of that garment over herself. And she is asking him here without using words, Boaz, will you marry me and cover me with your protection? Like this garment is covering me right now. In fact, later on, we see when he wakes up, Ruth asks him to spread your wings over your servant, meaning asking him to marry her, uh, to redeem her. But at this point, Ruth has done this. Boaz is still asleep. He is fast asleep. The food and the drink and the celebration has taken its toll. He is out. And he has no idea that he is not alone, much less that it's a woman who is next to him. So Ruth, at this time, has to be patient, and she has to wait. Around midnight, Boaz begins to stir, and he is startled. Uh, Startled, to say the least. I would have loved to see the look on Boaz's face. (laughs) I would have loved it. Um, The celebration uh, from the evening has probably begun to wear off after a few hours. He's probably thinking that he's hallucinating. Who is this woman? Um, Where did she come from? How did this happen? How long has she been here? What is going on? And he asks her name because she has probably um, concealed herself uh, so that no one knew who she was. And she reveals her identity. It's Ruth. It's Ruth. He knows Ruth. At this point, Boaz probably notices the garment at his feet. His feet are uncovered. Part of his cloak is covering Ruth. Things are starting to click at this point in his head. He's starting to understand what might be happening here. He begins to see what is going on. And so Ruth speaks. And Ruth asks him, in not so many words, to be her redeemer. She says, I am Ruth, I am your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth is laying herself completely bare here. She is totally throwing herself out there, not knowing how Boaz is going to react. He could turn her down, or he could say, Yes but she has laid all of her cards out on the table. Everything in her life hinges in what he is about to say. What is he going to do? Boaz responds as a worthy man would, because that's who he is, as we learned last week. He's a worthy man. He acknowledges his role as a redeemer, and he pledges to redeem her if he is able. He's a man of integrity. He knows that he is a redeemer, but there is someone who is closer. Someone who he has to ask first, who would be first in line to redeem her. But he knows that that is his role. He is fully aware of this. And what he does is he praises Ruth for what she has done. She could have been chased after younger, possibly more attractive men, but instead she chooses Boaz. She chooses to follow God. Um, I don't know how old Boaz is. Uh, I don't know if he is an attractive man or not. The Bible does not tell us. But it gives the impression that Boaz is older than she is. Um, and she could have gone after men who would have been more suited for her. But this is the man that God has chosen for her. And so she chooses Boaz. And Boaz seems very excited about the possibility of redeeming Ruth. But being the man of integrity that he is, he knows that he has to approach this other man first. And if that man redeem her, so be it, because that is God's will. That is the law, and that is what will happen. But if not, Boaz says he would be more than happy to do it. He will redeem her. He continues to show his integrity, the fact that he is a worthy man. He protects Ruth's identity and her integrity as he tells her to to stay here, wait uh, until the morning. Uh, I will send you away when uh, when it's a time when no one will recognize you still. And he sends her away with her arms full of barley. He continues to provide for her needs. He does not send her away empty-handed. He is that type of man. So Ruth, she returns to Naomi. She reports the events of that evening. I am sure Naomi was waiting just with bated breath. What is going to happen? What is Ruth going to say when she returns? Uh, When I was growing up uh, in high school, uh, my mother, um, she would have the hardest time falling asleep while any of her children were out for the night. My curfew was usually, uh, when I was a senior, I think it was at, at midnight. And uh, my parents would usually go to bed uh, after the 10 o'clock news. So usually about 10.30 they were in bed. And I knew that when I came home, my mother would still be awake. She'd be faking it. She'd be pretending like she was sleeping. (laughs) But I know that until she heard that door open and close, and she knew that all of her children were at home, she would still be awake. So I would always go uh, into their room to to her side of the bed. Uh, I would... um, tell her that I had made it, that I was home safely, Uh, sometimes apologizing for being just a little bit late, Um, uh, but uh, she was always awake, waiting for me. I can imagine Naomi doing the same thing. Maybe she's in her room, praying for her daughter-in-law, maybe she's pacing, just waiting to know what will happen. Um, And when Ruth walks in the door and shares the events of the evening, what has happened, uh, you know she is probably just ecstatic with what has happened, what God has done. Uh, The text doesn't tell us what mood Naomi was in, but you can imagine uh, her excitement here. And she encourages Ruth. Because Naomi knows Boaz, knows that he is a worthy man, he will do immediately what he has promised to do. And what we'll find out next week in chapter 4, he does. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't wait. He immediately acts on this proposal. And so Naomi encourages Ruth to wait and to wait patiently for what what news will come. Naomi is calling on Ruth to trust Boaz and ultimately to trust in the Lord. So what do we, from this story, what do we glean about understanding and knowing the will of God? Because I think that's a constant struggle if you're anything like me, knowing what the will of God is. You know, God doesn't always give us a flashing neon sign uh, for us to know what his will is and what we should be doing in life. As a family, we've been reading through the the biography of George Mueller uh, to our children. It's been a a great story uh, to see what God did in and through the life of George Mueller. Um, if you are unfamiliar with him, he is known uh, as the caretaker of Bristol's orphans. Uh, there is just tens of thousands of orphans that he cared for during his lifetime in the, in the city of Bristol in England. But early in his life, he didn't know that God was calling him to care for orphans. He thought that God was calling him to be a missionary. He wanted to go overseas. Uh, but one day as he was walking down the streets of Bristol, he noticed a little girl and her younger brother on the streets. Uh, both of the, the, his, their parents had died from a recent cholera outbreak that had ravaged Bristol, and they were left on the streets to fend for themselves. George could not shake these two children from his mind. He just couldn't do it. And later that day, he felt that God may be calling him to care for orphans. So he and his wife set up a breakfast club. This place where orphans would come in the morning, they would be served a hot meal, they would be given the word of God, and uh, he and his wife fed a number of orphans this way. When that grew to be too large, he felt God was calling him to find a house where they could turn, turn this into a, an orphanage, a place where they could house the orphans. But George never believed in asking people for money. He wouldn't do it. Instead, he simply trusted that God would provide prayer. So after weeks of praying uh, for him and his wife, for God to give them direction and to provide, George then received the single greatest donation up until that point in his ministry. It was a thousand pounds. And with that, he was able to rent the first home that would turn into many homes for uh, for orphans. Sometimes I wish that God would do that in my life that he would simply, uh, out of the blue, make it very clear uh, that this is what I want you to do. We believe very strongly that God is sovereign, that he is in complete and utter control of all the things that happen. He created the world, but he didn't just step back and leave it be. Instead, he is orchestrating, he is working through all of life, uh, through his works of providence. Uh, last week we, we read question and answer 11 of the Westminster Catechism. It said, what are God's works of providence? And God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Most often when we think about the sovereignty of God, um, what happens often is that it... Freezes us. We don't know what God wants or we believe the fact that God is doing anything anyways and so we don't do anything. It causes us to be frozen. But instead of God's sovereignty freezing us, it should allow us to be daring. And that is what we see in the life of Ruth this morning. Often we believe so strongly that God is in control, it causes us to give up the decision making. And just let God do what God is going to do. Because, honestly, the last thing we would want to do is go against the will of God. And so why don't we just let His will play out? And so we end up wrestling with what is or what isn't God's will. And wrestling with God's will is a good thing. But honestly, that's not one of the things that you see Ruth and Naomi wrestling with here in the passage. I am sure that they are prayerful individuals. Uh, We know their integrity. um, But they see a situation, and in integrity they devise a plan, and they act on it. They see an opportunity that God has obviously presented to them, and they take full advantage of the opportunity. They aren't doing anything illegal here. They aren't contradicting Scripture in any way, uh, God's revealed will. Their hearts and their motives are pure. Ruth isn't trying to be a, a gold digger here. In fact, Boaz commends her because she isn't going after younger men. If these ladies would have been timid and passive, they may have missed out on an opportunity that God had laid before them. But God is sovereign, right? Would they have missed out on the opportunity? No. God probably would have done it in a different way. We know that God always accomplishes his will. But he had given them, Ruth and Naomi, the ability to live out and accomplish their will through his will through courage and through faith. Ruth and Naomi acted out of wisdom, out of discernment. They understood God's ways of redemption and they acted on it. So does this mean that every time we move out in faith and do thing, something courageously and boldly like Ruth and Naomi did here, that things will go as smoothly and as perfectly for us as it did for Ruth? Things went so well for her. And things could have been so, gone so terribly wrong. Someone could have spotted her. Uh, someone could have uh, walked in on the two of them while they were there. Even though nothing was going on, something could have happened uh, a lot of things could have happened, but God orchestrated it out, and uh, it worked perfectly. The plan was executed to the T, but we know from experience that doesn 't always work that way. That 's not always reality. And trusting in god 's sovereignty means waiting in patience, in patience for God to work and being willing to accept the outcome. Uh, this, this past weekend uh, with the elders, we were listening to a couple of messages uh, from different pastors. And uh, one of them was from Randy Pope, uh, who is the pastor of Perimeter Church in Atlanta. And he was uh, describing the characteristics of a healthy church. And one of them is that they act on faith. A uh, healthy church acts on faith. And sometimes, even when we're acting on faith, and we feel like the will of God is very clear, the things that we do end in failure. Why does that happen? You know, Ruth came back to her mother to report what she had happened, and now they simply had to wait. They had acted in accordance to what they believed was the will of God, and they were waiting on Boaz to make good on his promise. They were waiting on God's will to do what God was willing to do. They succeeded because God's will was that Boaz would be the Redeemer. But it could have gone the other way. God could have allowed the plan to fail miserably at any point. The key is how to react when God allows failure to happen. So as elders, we made plans this this weekend. We sought after the Lord and we're plotting a path for where Trinity is heading. And we are fully aware that even though we have sought after God and we feel like this is where Trinity is heading, it may fail. It may. That may not be where God wants us. But in the midst of the failure, He is going to be, by His sovereign hand, leading us and guiding us. Sometimes He actually desires for us to go through failure so that he can teach us, so that he can mold us and make us into his image, so he can lead us in the ways that he wants us to go. The Apostle Paul experienced failure in his missionary journeys. Remember Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, says, And they, meaning Paul and his companions, went throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That always blows me away. The Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word. In essence, they were trying to, but they were being prevented by the Holy Spirit from doing it. That wasn't God's will. They they had come up to Mysia. They attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Paul had been experiencing so much success at this point. Yes, he had been experiencing persecution, but he had been planting churches along the way. But finally, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul thought for sure that he was supposed to be preaching the gospel in Phrygia, in Galatia, but he wasn't having success. He was failing. Then he went to Mysia and Bithynia, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. God was allowing them to fail so that they would see where God was calling them to go, to Macedonia instead. So God is moving us forward as a church, and it is terribly exciting to see what God is doing here. That is terribly exciting. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've been having a, a new members class, and we have been packing out that adult Sunday school room. And it's been very exciting uh, to, to see people who, are, who have been coming uh, and to see the growth that he has provided here at Trinity. Over the last two months, we've heard two professions of faith. We've had two baptisms here. Uh, and as a session, we're trying to prayerfully discern the will of God and move us forward as a church to where he is taking us. Uh, Are we going to make mistakes? You bet. Uh, As long as I am your pastor, uh, the leader of this church is going to make mistakes because I am not perfect. The elders that you have elected and ordained are going to make mistakes. But it is through these failures that God is going to use us for his glory and his will is going to be revealed. The fear of failure shouldn't paralyze us into inaction. You know, you often hear the saying, you know, failure is not an option. But for the Christian, failure is an option. It's okay. Our culture will tell us that it's not okay. Um, So for us, it may take a, a change of perspective because we're told that so often. But God even ordains our failures. Everything is under his complete control. So the question is, how are we going to react? Through failure, God is shaping us and molding us into His image. The failure should cause us to trust in Him more deeply, knowing that He is in complete control. As we try to discern God's will, as we make decisions in our personal lives, as a a church body, uh, in our families, we're called to seek God in wisdom and then move out in action, We shouldn't, in a sense, take advantage of the sovereignty of God and simply say, well, it doesn't matter what I do or how I do it. God's in control. Notice that Ruth and Naomi used wisdom. The plan wasn't to brazenly walk up to Boaz in a crowd and make a spectacle. The, the plan was to approach him in private, to do it in wisdom. We shouldn't be reckless and brash in our decision-making as we discern God's will but we should move forward in faith. Understanding that God is directing all things according to His sovereign will. As we're going to see next week, as we conclude Ruth, that God's will is done. Uh, Spoiler alert, Boaz does redeem Ruth. And it's beautiful. And through Ruth and Boaz, Uh, We see the line of David, and through David we see our Redeemer, our ultimate Redeemer, Jesus Christ. God did accomplish His sovereign will through Ruth and Boaz, through David, and ultimately through Christ. And He is working out His will even today. So because God is in complete control, He has accomplished salvation for us. He has given us the ability to move out in faith, trusting in his sovereign will, not because of what we have done, but because what he has done for us. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, you are sovereign and in complete control. And you have given us wisdom, the ability to make decision, to move out in faith by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we seek to make decisions, I pray that we would do so according to your wisdom. I pray that you would give us courage and boldness to move forward in faith. And I pray that in times of failure, That we would react in faith, knowing that you have not abandoned us, Lord. Instead, you are leading and guiding us through it. Lord, we don't pray for failure. We don't desire failure. But what we desire is for your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And whatever that takes, Lord, uh, we pray that it would be accomplished. Use us for your glory, for the advancements of the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.